You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 619 for June 21st, 2023. On this episode, saxophonist Alex Weiss. There's going to be three episodes each month in June and July, as I mentioned last time. The reason for that is I got a little bit ahead of myself with recording interviews, and I don't want everyone to have to wait, you know, five months for their episode to come out. So uh, I am just packing them in a little bit tighter this month and next month. And then in August, assuming that I regain some sense of self-control, we'll go back to two a month. Members of the Jazz Session get a bonus show called This I Dig of You. They get it with every episode. And what happens is that on the bonus show, the person from the main interview talks about something non-musical that's bringing them joy. For example, this time around, Alex talks about being a parent and seeing the world through children's eyes. You can hear the bonus episode by becoming a member for five bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. When you join, you not only get the bonus show, but you also get early access to every show. You get occasional behind-the-scenes information, you get other bonus shows, and for each episode, I choose one Patreon supporter to name as the sponsor of that episode. This episode was brought to you by Anne Braithwaite. Thanks, Anne. Alex Weiss's new album is called Most Don't Have Enough. Here's the opening track. Welcome to the Jazz Session. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's really great to have you. Uh, we're here to talk about Most Don't Have Enough, your new record, which I have really, really been enjoying. Um, and before we get into the the kind of meat of the record, I wanted to set the table for people a little. And um, I have a really kind of deep uh, connection, particularly musically, with uh, my own grandfather, who's no longer with us, but uh, was a huge influence on my life. And as I understand it from your story, and this is just from things I've read, your grandfather had a pretty huge impact on you too. Can we start there, maybe? Absolutely. Yes. He. Um, yeah, his name is Eugenio Granel. He was uh, a product of the Spanish Civil War for the left side of things. Um, and uh, Met Marcel Duchamp and André Breton in the uh, in New York uh, after he was exiled from from Spain, 
And uh, the surrealist movement was being born and it um, really took hold of him and uh, he felt very connected to it. He became a painter at a young, as a young man and um, dedicated his life to, be, to being a painter, a surrealist painter, and uh, was very prolific throughout his life. He actually, before that, was a violin player in um, the Conservatory of Madrid uh, before the war, but then the war happened um and um when he took exile he went to latin america actually first lived in the dominican republic lived in guatemala and puerto rico and then he moved to um to manhattan in the 50s and he was actually he was speaking with marcel duchamp through letters and uh and through meeting one another and being with one another and they he said come to new york i think you'll really like it so he did that and he continued to create and make art and paint and sculpt. Uh, painting was his main medium. Um, so I guess the connection is just sort of an, uh, an appreciation for the abstraction of things, the, um, the taking history and, and, the, and the creating of, of how music has, has grown, uh, particularly with the jazz music and making what, uh, is happening in my life and now nowadays from that history of music and creating my own music with that in mind, as he as he did with with uh, art and with painting. Um, so I guess yes, that would be the strong connection between us and his influence on me and his thinking, his philosophy of these things were were very influential on me. Yeah. I'm by no means uh, even anything close to an expert on surrealist painting, although I've I've seen quite a bit. But uh, it's funny because it kind of, in some ways, prefigures a question I was going to ask you about this record, which is um, this album for me really walks a line that I like when music walks, which is kind of between uh, control or plan and chaos. And I I love the tension between those things that that feeling that sometimes it's clear there's a plan. And sometimes you feel like, wow, at any moment, it feels like this could go off the rails, but it doesn't. And that kind of like delightful tension is there. And all throughout, uh, most don't have enough. I I get that feeling. I just, there's moments where it's like, okay, I yes, I know. I'm pretty sure this was probably written and I can kind of see what's happening. And then two bars later, I'm like, oh, okay, we're just out here now. And I, I really love that. I wonder if that, if you see, first of all, if, if you don't feel that's an accurate characterization, please push back on that. But if you do, I'm curious whether that kind of like permission almost that you got from your grandfather's way of thinking oh, factors into that. Right. That's a great question. I um, So a lot of the music, all the pieces are very composed. There's, it's a, it was, there was a lot of composition involved. Um, the, the atonality and the uh, odd time signatures um, does give it this angular on the you know on the on the uh, edge of things collapsing perhaps um, uh, but then they don't um, it was a great way to put it I, I've I've heard this before from other people um, I think that the notion of surrealism and his particular bent on it was to define things when you look at one of his paintings his a main thing that he wanted to reinstate and reinforce with people was that whatever you see in things is what is happening on the painting and um one's own sense of imagination one's own take of things is really what's important and my 
compositions and playing of the music and all of that is one side of the thing. But I, but for me, the most important thing is that it's hopefully inspiring people to think for themselves and get what they want from it. And um, almost that the music is uh, its own, its own entity, its own thing that I was lucky enough to feel inspired to somehow carve out and shape but the listener ultimately can take what they want from it and um, feel those feelings that you had. And um, I'm very glad that, that you were feeling those things. It sounds like a good ride. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. And okay. if we take one step closer to the music than me to the other musicians so the people who are not you but who are also performing can you talk about how their takes come into play on the music Absolutely. that you've written sure um so all of the all of the musicians dan and and chess and marta and yana and dimitri they're all very familiar with um the uh, a lot of composition reading and interpreting their what they're feeling from the music. Um, I had a, a bunch of direction, but they're all very adept at the sort of definition of how to take this music. Um, let me see if I can be more concise. Um, a, a lot of the ink, if you will, uh, uh, the charts are very much strict. They're very strict and needing to be followed. But then in moments of openness where there's an ostinato bass line or... Um, uh, a place where there's freedom to roam without any constrictions, without any harmonic constrictions that a baseline might might provide, um, then then the instrumentalists are free to to create however they want and play however they want. Um, so there's a fine balance with all those things, and um, they they met the challenges very naturally, and and I feel like they interpreted the music the way I wanted the music to be heard and and played. Um, so I think that they're just adaptness at is that the word adaptness adept yeah <laughs> to, to be adept yeah um at at yes at um reading and and navigating the instructions uh via a chart was just spot on and knowing how to do this music was very came very naturally to them
mentioned uh, all of their first names, but will you just take us through the the roster with their their full names? And also, I know it feels like this is a, a very intentional collection of people, uh, and I'm, yes. I'm just curious about the formation of this particular group. Yes, great, sure. So uh, on bass uh, is Dmitry Yashenko. He's a very old, good friend of mine. Um, he's been on records of mine in the past. He's a, a phenomenal bass player, a very wonderful inside player, a very wonderful outside player. Uh, one of the best bass players in the city. I think he's uh, from Odessa, Ukraine. So he's actually going through a lot right now with what's happening in the war. But he's uh, extremely enthusiastic and has a reverence and a, 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 a holds the importance of free, open-ended music, as well as composition and, and uh, respect for the history of jazz music. And he's really good at it. Uh, he's, he played with Steve Lacey, for many years, from for the last number of years with him in Boston. That's where I um, knew him from originally. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. Yeah, he's a fantastic bass player. Uh, his partner, and coincidentally, is the guitar player on it, Yana Davidova. And uh, she's an incredible classical player. She has her own projects, um, more in the indie rock spectrum of things, but also plays all kinds of improvisational music. She's just got a very solid understanding for sound and exploiting her amp and her pedals and her instrument to get the right sounds for the right parts that are being played. And she's just all over the place in the best of ways. Chess Smith, who you probably know. Uh, he's been on the show. Yep. Oh, he's been on the show. Great. Yes. Yeah. As you know, so he's played with everybody and uh, is a man about town, an incredibly intuitive player, uh, an incredible sense of time, an incredible sense of creativity. His palette, as you know, for uh, extracting sounds from his drum set are just huge. And I've played with him for years and years and have recorded with him on various things. He and I were, uh, he and I and Dimitri were in uh, John Chakai's band when he would come to, to New York City. So Chess is just uh, an incredible dear hearts musician to me, friend. And then Dan Blake, uh, soprano sax player, tenor sax player. He's uh, playing soprano on this album. He's an incredible writer, uh, plays for Steeple, has done many recordings for Steeplechase, toured with Prince, uh, Esperanza Spalding, um, a wonderful, wonderful musician. His particular sound with the soprano saxophone is, it's one of my favorite soprano sounds, and I'm lucky enough to have been playing with him with this music. And then Marta Sanchez, who's on two, two of the tracks, the two sort of more epic opuses, if you will, uh, uh, homage to Elijah Cummings and uh, Akira Sun and Moon. Um, she played on uh, those two uh, songs because I love the way she improvises and can absorb music so fast. Um, her understanding of the music came so quickly to her and she was able to make those two compositions just come to life in a, in a different way and add, add that extra texture that uh, the, other, the other songs don't have. She's now the harmonic player for the band currently. So we're, we're playing together uh, throughout, the, throughout the city. And uh, yeah, she's fantastic. <laughs> when you were writing this music, did you know who would be playing it or did you hope uh, you knew who would be playing it? I'm curious yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, so Joe Hertenstein was actually the original drummer for it. And he played a number of shows. We rehearsed uh, many, many times during COVID. Um, when COVID was kind of on the decline, he and his wife decided to move back to Germany. So he's now been kind of jumping over the pond back and forth, being in, being in New York and Germany. Uh, because of that, 
I, I needed to find an, another drummer. The drums are super important in this music. Chess became that, but I love Joe's playing and I hope to play with him with this music again. Uh, he's a fantastic, uh, do, you, do you know Joe Hurtenstein? I know um, of him. Oh, I don't know him personally. You know yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, he's a wonderful instrumentalist, extremely creative. Uh, his sense of time is unbelievable. His arrhythmic sensibility is unbelievable. So with, with, to, to answer your question as accurately as I can, I had been rehearsing with Dan, Yana, Joe, and Dimitri uh, for a couple of years. So this music has been getting honed and getting seasoned during the time of, of COVID. When we weren't playing out, we were rehearsing when we could, we were wearing masks and getting together when we could. So yeah, the music and the textures of the music was changing and taking form over long periods of time. And I have to give credit to Dimitri for helping me with arrangements of things. So that's kind of important that I give a shout out to him. His sense of arranging and suggesting things was paramount to um, a lot of these songs. Let's take a quick break from the interview to talk about two different things. One is that you can support what I do and keep the archives freely available for everyone by becoming a member for $5 a month. You'll get a bonus episode with every regular show, plus early access to every show, plus additional bonus material, behind-the-scenes updates, all of that for just $5 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. If you're a musician and you need a press release or an artist bio or liner notes or help with a Wikipedia page or social media, I do that for a lot of the folks that you've heard on this show and for others too. And you can see samples of my work at cranewrites.com. I would love to write for you. So check out the samples and get in touch. Now, back to the interview. We talked about the compositions on this record, and all of them are by you except two, um, one of which is Really Okay, uh, which is written by Chris Speed, and the other is Humpty Dumpty, which is written by Ornette Coleman. And I'm curious, uh, especially because of how much composition drives this album, I- I'm, a, I don't know, interested that there are other people's compositions at all, and then, of course, curious about, uh, of all the ones that exist, how those two came to be the two. Chris Speed's music and his sense of writing uh, has has been an influence for me. I really love his sound. I love his sense of writing um, and, and his sense of playing. I've been sort of examining the way he writes throughout the years and then playing his songs and practicing his music on my own and occasionally playing a tune or two on the bandstand with bands. Uh, but the re- really okay is, is, is a very accessible melody. For one, I, I felt like it would... It complemented the other the other compositions of mine in a way. Um, it's 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 got a gentility to it, but it's also got this angular strangeness in the B section, and um, the chord changes aren't terribly demanding as well. So it's a piece that can play itself 
and uh, the improvisation has a lot of room for success. Uh, so uh, e e easy accessibility, uh, opposed to something much more demanding like 26.2 by Coltrane or, or something like that. Uh, not to say that the composition itself is difficult or the current or the changes are particularly very easy. That's not true. Um, I just love the melody. Ultimately, I really love the melody of that tune. We spoke and he was like, oh, please, it'd be, a, it'd be an honor for you to play the tune on your record, I, it'd be great. So I was happy that I got his blessing to do it. Um, he's a sweetheart and the band just ate it up. They loved the song and they played they played it beautifully and uh, interpreted, it, interpreted it the way I wanted it to. And uh, it came out for me uh, in, a, in a very nice way. The Ornette Coleman song, um, I've been playing his music for years and years and all kinds of songs of his from his prime time period to his old stuff with Ed Blackwell and Don Cherry and uh, Charlie Hayden. And um, and this song I had in particularly had been shedding and the band had been playing and we've been playing on in the bandstand. So the fact that it was warm and already uh, you know, percolating in the back burner, and everybody was familiar with it. It just made sense to uh, give it a shot on on at the recording studio, and and so it made the cut. Everybody soloed nicely on it, and you know, it just it's just a nice, bouncy, beautiful late fifties Ornette Coleman song, and just representing him and his importance to me is just huge, a uh, huge influence on me. His sense of writing and his sense of freedom of of playing. Uh, and his sound, just everything about his music and his approach to music is just, um, I just want to continue that and let let the continuation of Ornette Coleman be, be heard however possible. Yeah. His writing is so strong. I mean, the um, I, I did know this tune, so I'm not speaking purely from, you know, never having heard it or anything. But the second it starts on the record, you're like, oh, Arnett, like it could be it could be 10 kazoos. It could be I mean, it could be anything like his 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 writing, I think, carries through anyone's attempts to do anything to it, which is not to say that you were trying to distort it in some way or anything. I don't mean that. I just mean that whoever. Whoever sincerely attempts to interpret his music, I always feel like he is always there. Like he's oh, just absolutely. such a clear voice. You it's know? so true. Yeah, I feel like his compositions are so solid and so wonderful that they don't need to be rearranged. Uh, they could be, perhaps they have been. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, oh, I just want to do this song as as best as I can because it's so great in the first place. I just want to do it justice. Um, and yeah, uh, Humpty Dumpty 2, the, the classic, uh, what is it? It's like a children's story of a, yeah. of a strange egg-shaped 
thing. That, yes, that I think is really a metaphor for a British canon or something like that. I, yes, I'm, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and then perhaps yeah, it could be taken, you know, for a, a silly politician as well. And having that person fall on themselves and uh, people picking up the pieces to try to uh, re reassemble that person as well um, is sort of analogous as to what, what happens in the world nowadays. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Maybe without the, yeah. Including the not being able to put it back together again. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I've been really heartened in recent interviews on the show to to see how many people have been using their music, including instrumental music, where you mostly can communicate through song titles, uh, but have been using their music to communicate about the world in which we find ourselves. Uh, anybody who's heard this show before knows that I am extremely far left and uh, that you know, I really love the fact that so many musicians I speak to these days are using whatever platform they're given to speak some truths. And uh, both uh, in the individual track titles of some of the pieces here, but also in the very title of the album itself, most don't have enough. Uh, it feels, and obviously hearing some of your family history too, it feels less surprising, but it feels very much like you're using your platform to say what you can say. And I, I'd just like to hear you say anything about that that you care to you care to say. Absolutely. Oh, that's very heartening that you've had such a consistent, constant uh, reflection from other artists with these similar thoughts in mind regarding society and politics. So yeah, um, I definitely titled a lot of this music with the intention of trying to raise consciousness, uh, as many, many people do in many, many forms, uh, with the titles of my songs. Yes. Um, so most don't have enough. It's It, it speaks for itself in a way. You know, it, it, it's a, a, a very... The disparity out there for people uh, who don't have a lot of income, who are racially not white, who are not men, who are uh, living in extraordinary oppressive situations. Uh, you know, the list is very long and endless, unfortunately, as to the amounts of disparity that happens in the world, as it always has. So I, I just thought the words the words flowed nicely for me. They spoke of a very simple and, and solid truth. You know, there's nothing contrived about it. Um, so I, I like the way that those most don't have enough four words uh, stick together. The titles of the tracks, one in particular, which is um, uh, "Your Dark Shadow Arrives at the Door," is 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 basically about the coming of Trump and the Trump era, and this new this new era that we're in now of uh, these charlatans, these. Uh, grifters have come in and have sort of appropriated people's minds and psychologies and politics and society as a whole. And um, it's pretty insidious. It's been happening in this very gradual, insidious, slow way. You know, like a specter comes, you don't know what to expect. It's not that threatening, but then the door opens and you get a feeling for something and then the specter's inside. And so there's all that symbolic reference, if you will, with words. O homage to Elijah Cummings is not so subtle or, or symbolic. That's very straightforward. Um, I think he needs to be remembered. Um, he was an extraordinary force for good. His uh, civil rights activism was paramount and just people like him and him, it's just good to hear his name and associated with music. Alex, can you just remind listeners who Elijah Cummings was? Sure. He was a Democrat, a representative for the House, congressman. His parents were sharecroppers. Uh, he was very active throughout his life with civil rights and 
in the last 10 years of his life was just a very strong proponent in the political movement of black people and, and rights for all uh, as a whole. He was just a fantastic man. We are, uh, we're getting close to the end here. And you mentioned someone earlier who I had wanted to ask you about. And I think we've got enough time for me to do that, um, which is uh, John Chakai, who uh, I've listened to a lot of John's music, but I have to admit that I, uh, as as a human being, I know very little about him. I never got to see him uh, play in person, although certainly I could have. <laughs> he was around for a long time that I was around, uh, but I didn't. And uh, so I, I don't have any other than having heard his music, which obviously is a fairly large part of who he was but i don't have any personal feeling for what he was like and and you do so i if there's anything you'd care to say about him i'd be interested in hearing absolutely um yeah he was uh, a gentle soul uh very tall and very striking um his mother was danish his father was congolese he was a danish citizen i had a way of speaking where he would have a flow of words and then when the end of the flow of words would happen he would continue to speak and sort of uh inhale as he would to speak um so his um speech pattern was really interesting a very very sort of symbiotic or or relative to the way he played um the saxophone he um practiced meditation he was very, the importance of creativity was of just paramount uh, in his life. The importance of bringing up younger musicians and putting them in the spotlight was very important to him. Um, he had a very, under, a very large understanding for the continuation of the history of the music and passing along the baton, so to speak. Uh, and that was very important to him. And he would pick people of all ranges of life, all creeds and all denominations and played with them and um, toured constantly around the world in his last years until he couldn't anymore. Um, I think for the, 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 the sort of cap, uh, the, the, the last moment of what I'd like to say about John is that his music was just as important as uh, human relations was concerned. His uh, sense of bonding with people was extraordinary for him. And um, he was just a great human being. Yeah. My guest for this show is Alex Weiss. The new album is Most Don't Have Enough. And it, it's really, really wonderful. I, I can't recommend it highly enough. And I not only do I recommend it, but I recommend repeated listenings because there's a lot there. And if you spend time diving in, you'll keep finding uh, new depths. So Alex, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. I hope you'll come back again. It's really been a joy. Oh, thank you so much, Jason. It's been a pleasure for me as well. 
Thanks to my guest, Alex Weiss. Thanks also to the members who support this show and to the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music and Sarah Walter for the logo. Message me for more info about Sarah. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. You can hire him at hearchucknow.com. Follow the Jazz Session on Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram and TikTok at the Jazz Session. Take a second right now to rate and review The Jazz Session in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really helps me reach new folks. If you'd like to keep up to date on my podcast, poetry, and more, you can subscribe to my newsletter. Go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. If you value what you just heard, become a member for $5 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join, and then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.